Grab your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Easy to find. We begin. It begins this Sunday, right? See our flashy little slide up there? Preston put together. We're official now. We've got a, we've got a series and a slide and everything. Today it begins, all right? Uh, there is even a little note page should be in your bulletin if you didn't grab a bulletin. Brian, Wayne, would you guys jump up? There are some uh, inserts sitting on the back table there. If you don't have one of those, just kind of put your hand up when these guys walk by and they'll give you one. It's just a little page that you can take a couple notes as we go through here. Hopefully that helps you. If it does, let me know and I'll try and do it through the rest of this series. Uh, on the note page there, one of the first things it says is that there are five things I want to go over, uh, things I need to say before I really say anything, I think is what it says. But there is much to be said regarding this topic, manhood, womanhood, and marriage. When they come together and they form a unit, there's a whole lot to say. We're going to spend the whole summer uh, in, this, in this regard. But before I say any of it, I need to give a few qualifiers. So here they are, one through five, and you can... You can annotate these however you like, all right? But you'll, you'll get the point of each one. Number one, the things we, we say from this pulpit throughout this summer series, the things we say must be taken collectively, all right? These things must be taken collectively. I'm going to do my best to make one or two main points each week uh, of this series, but none of them, listen, none of them can really stand alone apart from the other messages and the other points that you're going to hear in coming weeks, Okay? So you've got to view this thing collectively. If you walk away here today and you think that's it, you're going to miss something. That leads me to number two. Uh, I tease uh, every now and then uh, about not emailing me if you have a problem with something I, I say or something the Word has to say. And I always tell you, email ElderVic at Cornerstone. Uh, I'm just kidding about that, okay? Now, I want to say, especially in this series, if there's something that just strikes you wrong, something you're not clear on, if there's, if there's a question or a direction that this, this series throws you in any one of these given weeks, okay? Email me, call me, do it, do it sooner than later. Don't let it fester, especially if it's something that maybe rubs you the wrong way, because there's great potential for that in this series, okay? So, uh, hear me say, let me know, alright? There may be, there may be some questions, some things you need clarity on that pop into your head. It might be wise to hold on to them, because some of them may get answered in coming weeks, okay? But if you can't wait, don't. Just bring them, bring them on. Okay, and I'll forward them to Preston. Number three, the point of this series is not to address a hot topic. Okay, it's not. We're not just looking for something in in our culture that we can address that'll be relative and culturally, you know, savvy, etc., or something, uh, <clears throat> something, you know, uh, something tenuous out there that everybody's talking about. That's not what we do here. Okay, that's not what we do here. Uh, this this series, this series is because. Too many of us are seeing too many marriages struggle without any direction. Too many teenagers are confused and too many parents are unprepared for when little Johnny's going to come and say, Dad, what does it mean to be a man different than a woman? Or when little Sally says, Mom, what does it mean to be a woman uh, and be different than a man? What does that mean? We need to be prepared for that. For us, as always, we believe there is clarity in Scripture. We believe there's clarity in Scripture that saves and heals, saves souls, heals lives, marriages, homes, children, saves us pain, saves us regret, etc., etc., etc. Right? Number four, uh, you need to put on your thinking hats this go around. Okay? You got to put on your thinking caps this go around. Uh, you know this, but it's not trouble for me to remind you, and uh, you would do well to uh, be reminded. 
that we aren't primarily concerned here at Cornerstone with uh, your entertainment in this place. Uh, I'm primarily concerned, especially at this point in the service, with your biblical education as it brings salvation and healing to you and glory to God. Okay? Your biblical education as it brings salvation and healing to you and glory to God. All right. I hope, of course, right? I hope you are engaged. I hope you can uh, stick with me. I hope I do a good enough job communicating that, that you stay connected throughout the whole deal. Right. What I'm saying is that I hope you just you just aren't here, though, to get a little sermonette uh, on how to be a better this or that or just a little, you know, ear tickle this Sunday and you go home and you continue to live your life. That, that's that's not going to do this go around. It really never does. But I want to encourage you. That. Um, if you're not or if you aren't in the habit of being a student of the word start today okay start today uh passage comes to mind one of my favorite passages deuteronomy 32 47 moses who's the author author of our text today he says later at the very end of his life he says these words he's talking to israel's he gives them god's commands he says these words are not idle words meaning they just making a bunch of noise running spinning out but doing no damage they're not just idle words they are, he says, your very life. The stuff we're talking about, it, it, it matters and it makes a difference. Okay? So we need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously. Um, I'm going to need you to take the attitude of a scholar on this one. Finally, number five. Wording and phrasing matters. Wording and phrasing matters maybe more than... Um, maybe more than ever before in my teaching history here. Uh, you'll perhaps understand this, uh, I think you will, by the end of this very first message. Okay, Wording and phrasing matters. All right, so here's your goal. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we're trying to accomplish this morning. Before we ever get there, uh, you see it on your sheet. You just fill in the blanks here so you have this. I put down some of the important points for you. The goal this morning is to show you why men and women, since creation, are of equal value and equal worth. Why men and women since creation are of equal value and equal worth. All right, let's go. Genesis 1, 24 through 28 is going to be our passage this morning. We are on day six of God's creation story. That's where we land in verse 24. Follow with me in your Bible. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. Remember, this is the beginning of day six. Living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw it was good. 26. Then God said. Then God said, still day six. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on this earth. There are, in fact, two accounts of creation in your Bible. Do you know this? 
There are, in fact, two accounts of creation in Genesis. This is the first. We just read it. Well, we read part of it. This is the first, and it is a general statement. It is a general statement regarding the creation of, catch my wording here, collective humanity. The second is in Genesis 2, and it is more specific or detailed of an account of God's creation of humanity, male and female, individually. All right? Account one, general, about collective humanity. Account two, chapter two, more detailed, more specific, about not the collective humanity, but individually, male and female. We get more details. And we'll deal with that account later. These two accounts, however, let me say at the beginning, do not contradict in any way. In fact, they accomplish great things on their own, and when taken together, they complement each other perfectly. Okay? They complement each other perfectly. What we need to see today is the general statement, the account in Genesis 1, about collective humanity. In Genesis 1.26, he says this, Then God said, Let us make man. Now, don't get bogged down... uh, one of the, you know, one of the all-time uh, most often asked trivia questions about the Bible is, what does it mean when God says in Genesis, what, let us? I mean, who's he talking about, us? Was there more than one of him, or what was going on, okay? Uh, let me just give you a couple quick answers here, in case your mind is focused on that. I need you to get past that. A couple quick answers here. Us can refer to, possibly, could be the Trinity, right? Three in one, all right? It could be saying it collectively in that way. Uh, that's viable answer. I think maybe even a better answer is option number two, okay, uh, that kings would refer to themselves in the plural very often, okay? That's another viable answer, all right? So those are just two good answers for you in case your mind's going that way. Don't go that way. I need you to go another way. He says in verse 26, let us make man. Here we have a statement, not about how God made man, meaning the male gender, Okay? But literally, Adam, which means here both male and female man. Uh, You could plug in the word humanity there if you'd like. It is the word Adam. It's the word that would become the proper name for Adam. Okay? He gets that name. But it is a a collective descriptor of both male and female creation. Okay? Okay? Remember, Genesis 1, we're looking at the general, collective story of the creation of mankind. Point. What these verses have to say in regard to the worth and value of humanity encompasses equally both men and women. All right, let me say that again. What these verses have to say in regard to worth and value, personhood, I would add, of humanity encompasses equally both male and female gender. Okay? So when he says, let us make man, you could plug in there humanity. It's not a reference to Adam himself as much as it is a general reference to humanity. Okay? You need to know that. The tone of the creation account reaches a climax in our passage here. As we reach midday on day six, everything pinnacles. I can't say it better than another scholar has already said it, so I'm not going to try. Let me read it to you. Listen to this. In verse 26, God announces his intention to make man. This divine fanfare, unparalleled in the creation account, all the previous days that we didn't read, 
sets the making of man apart as a special event. God seems almost to jeopardize his unique glory by sharing his image and rule with a mere creature. Nevertheless, such a one God now intends to create. Verse 26 then has the force of riveting our attention on God's next creative work, which is the zenith of his genius and benevolence. You see how things are ramping up here? Noon on day six. Let me point some of these things out. You see, the worth and the value, and some might say the glory of man is made very obvious in several ways here in our passage. Let me point a couple of them out. Look back a few verses. Go to verse 3. It says, let there be light. Verse 6, let there be an expanse. Verse 9, let there be water. Verse 11, let the earth, etc., etc., etc. You notice a pattern here? But in verse 26, things change midday. One, one commentator said it this way. By the sheer power of his spoken will, God had caused the living creatures, day one through five and a half, the living creatures to emerge from the earth as if by some sort of cosmic remote control. But when it comes to humanity, things, things change. It's like water. There it is. Uh, ground. There. This. Animals. Birds. Uh, just by his word, things happen. As if by remote. He just says it and it is. This. Now this. Okay? This. Things just happen. But here in our passage, things, things shift. When it comes to humanity, this is in your notes, God acts personally and directly. He is personally and directly involved. It's not just this, now this, now this. Birds fly, animals, water over here, land over here, there's stars up there. And it's almost like we get this, we get this sort of pause. And yes. How about now? How about now? How about we make man? How about we make make something completely different in all this? How about we create now, but we, as if God gets his hands in it and his focus is intent, it draws his special attention. That shift, that shift speaks something of worth and value to the creation of humanity. Do you see that? All right. We also see the worth, value, glory of humanity in that we, it says, bear the image or likeness of God. The basic idea is simple, so don't complicate it too much. An image, think about this, an image is a picture or a statue, right? It's a picture or a statue of something else. That's an image. Israel, it's interesting, Israel, remember this, was forbidden to worship images. But perhaps surprisingly, Scripture teaches that there is an image of God. You and I. 
there is an image of God on earth that pictures him, that displays him, all right? It might be helpful. It might be helpful to think in these terms. An image resembles, this is in your notes, an image resembles and represents the one it pictures. All right? An image can resemble and an image can represent the one it pictures. Now, to say we resemble God, we'll start with the first one. To say we resemble God needs especially a little explanation here, okay? To be completely honest, nowhere in the Old Testament or in the New Testament does any author ever try and give any explanation of what this phrase means, all right? So we're left to some inference and some, some assumptions. Most scholars believe that the author's simply assumed some sort of understanding by their readers. They felt like the authors using this phrase uh, knew that their readers got it. For our purposes, let me just say this. It would seem that to be in the image of God means that everything about us reflects God in some way. And yet, everything about us is different from God as well which also tells us who he is. Let me say that again. It would seem that to be in the image of God means everything about us reflects God in some way. Everything. Everything about us reflects God in some way. And yet at the same time, everything about us, everything about us reflects God in that we are different in in some way. Our souls, bodies, our reason, our will, our goodness are like God, but also unlike him, for he is he's the creator. He's the paradigm. And he's the imp, infinite exemplar of these qualities. You see how everything about us is like him? It's at the same time not like him. Let me give an example. God has no body. And, and there, are, there are chapters and chapters and chapters and articles and uh, books on this one topic. So I'm just trying to give you a taste of this, all right? because I don't want us to get off track here, but I have to answer a little bit of this. Uh, God has no body in Scripture, no physical body in Scripture. The Father, the Father has no physical body. But Scripture uses even our bodies to say things about God. Example, Psalm 94. He who made the ear, does he not hear? He who made the eye, does he not see? You see, God doesn't have eyes and ears. But our eyes and ears say something, communicate something, display something, resemble something, image something about who our God is. Certainly he hears. Certainly he sees. Okay? We resemble God. Think about that. Think about the value and the worth that that brings with it. Don't get lost right here. What a place of value, worth, and glory humanity gets in creation. We are uniquely said to image God. And no other aspect of creation, no other aspect of creation can claim this. What does that say about our value and worth collectively? Not as man, not as woman. But man, woman, all of us, each of us. All right. 
not only do we resemble God, we, we represent God. As we image God, remember we said we resemble him? That can mean we, we resemble him. We also represent him. That's part of this image. We represent him by being created in his image. In saying that we resemble God, we, we, imply, uh, we imply something about our nature or our personhood. Okay? To say we resemble God is saying something about our nature or our personhood, who we are. When we say that we represent God, we imply something about our task or our role. So not just our nature and our personhood, but now our, our task or our role is what we mean when we say we represent God. Now hang with me here. Humanity has the privilege among creation to represent God on earth. Verse 26, let man, let's make man in our image and likeness and let them, what does it say? Rule. Then again in verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and what? Subdue it and rule. It's almost as if God deputizes humanity. We are his representative on earth. We are his, his vassal lords over his estate. God gives man a place above all other creation and it is given to male and female alike. Humanity, we can say, use a generic word, man, stands between God above and the animals previously created below as God's ruling representative on earth. Humanity, you see, is the, is the crown of creation. All right. By the way, uh, how, how did we do with what we were given there? Anybody know the rest of the story? How do we do with that image? You get to Genesis 3 and you find out. We didn't do real well. We didn't do real well, did we? We blow it. Incidentally, is there a sense in which we are, think about this, is there a sense in which we are made new creations, given a nature resembling God's, and the task of representing Him in all the earth, neither as Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, and also a command to go forth and multiply? Yeah. Sounds a whole lot like what Jesus accomplished. Sounds a whole lot like the gospel. Word of God's perfect, amen? That's good. Make you want to slap your mama. Hey, my mom's here. No. Don't do that. All right. You see what, we've, you see what we have here? See what we got? Uh, we've started this conversation on men, women, them coming together, marriage. Uh, we've started this conversation by laying a foundation. I'll go back to our, our goal phrase. Men and women, since creation, are equal in value and worth before our Creator. Both. Look at verse 27. Moses goes from using prose to poetry to beautifully emphasize all that we've said in these, in these last few minutes. He does it in three concise lines. Verse 27. These are in your notes as well. God created man in his own image. He was directly and personally involved. See that? See the second line? 
in the image of God, he created him. We get to resemble and represent. That's what it means to image him. The third line, and it seems like, doesn't it seem like he just says the same thing over and over here? But there are different, there are different emphasis here in each line. Line three, now what? Male and female. With equal brilliance, he created them. I added that. Uh, in regards to that last part, uh, if you go back to previous days in the creation story here in Genesis 1, nowhere else is it referred to, uh, to genders. You know, when he makes animals, certainly they're male and female. It never gets mentioned. It's uniquely, intentionally included here. Moses doubtless intends to imply the equality of the sexes for both male and female display the glory of God's image with equal brilliance. One commentator said. So that's beautiful, right? That's beautiful. What's the big deal then? I mean, what's all this nonsense? What's all this talk? What's all this conflict about? Why all the tension? We're all the same, right? And that's what it says right here. We're all just the same. Wrong. And this is where you need to pay attention to wording. Okay? Notice that I didn't say that men and women are equal. I didn't say that men and women are simply equal, unqualifiably equal. All right? Now just hang on. Go back to our statement. What did we say? Men and women, since creation, are of equal value and of equal worth before their creator. In other words, there are certain ways that we are not equal. There are certain ways that we are not equal. Let me briefly explain. In the next week, uh, I'll give you the biblical evidence you need to hold. You need uh, to hold such a seemingly paradoxical position. Equality in our day, in our culture, society, whatever you want to call it, equality is a, is really a loaded word. Okay. Uh, any two things that are said to be unequal are automatically assumed to be better and worse. Any two things that are said to be unequal are automatically assumed to be better or worse. The inference is, and it's a bad inference, uh, too often made and too quickly made, but the inference is that if two things are not equal in every way, then one is automatically better and one is automatically worse. You see, equal means the same to us. It means the same. But equal can mean same in always, i.e. completely equal. Hang on with me here. Equal can mean same in always, i.e. completely equal. Or equal can mean same in some ways i.e. partially equal or partly equal. Question. Hopefully this clears up what I'm trying to say here for you. Uh, Are we, male and female, completely equal? Now don't answer that yet. Hold on to that question. Are we, male and female, completely equal? Let me ask it another way before you answer that first way. Are we, male and female, completely the same? You see, you might be tempted to say that we are completely equal because that implies worth and ability. 
but you wouldn't naturally say that we are unqualifiably the same because that eliminates any difference, any variation, any distinctiveness, right? Do males and females, and let's throw out the biology part of it. Let's throw out the, throw out the physical, obvious plumbing differences, okay? Uh, do males and females have differences, variations, and distinctivenesses? Distinctivenesses? I don't know either. Of course we do, right? Of course we do. I mean, no thinking person would say we don't. In fact, do men themselves, if we just look at men, put the women aside, if we just look at men who are more similar, right? We just look at men, two men. Do men themselves even have differences, variations, distinctives? Certainly. We are not all, listen, no. we are not all, in that sense, created equally. Take it a step further. Are two identical twins completely the same, or do they have differences, variations, and distinctions? You get my point here. Certainly, certainly, even they do. Why then would we believe or have the ridiculous desire to say that males and females are completely equal and unqualifiably the same? Where does that come from? I think, I think the answer to where that comes from is that we all in the depths of our hearts have this unquenchable desire for worth. For worth. And that's understandable. We as believers ought to be sympathetic because we know the cause of that deep desire for worth or acceptance. We know where that comes from. And we know what the answer is. The only answer uh, that the world has that the unredeemed man has, and it's completely insufficient of an answer, but the only answer that the unredeemed man has is to attempt to take away all difference, all variation, all distinctive, in order to somehow and seemingly, and it really doesn't work, although uh, it's not a reality, uh, but to somehow level the playing field by taking all those things away. All right, so let me make a huge point, a huge biblical point, give an illustration and then we'll pick this up next week. Okay, here's the point. Men and women, since creation, are equal in worth and equal in value before our Creator. They both image God. This is in your notes now. And yet are made and used in ways that are not the same. They both image God and yet are made and used in ways that are not the same. And that's okay, right? That's okay. That's okay. Now the illustration that I hope in its, uh, in its real over-simplistic uh, way helps to make this point clear. Uh, it's so simple that I think there's got to be something wrong with it, honestly. Um, I have two sons. They are both equal in my eyes in their worth and value. They are both equal in the eyes of their father. They both carry the image of their father, and yet even at age two and four, they are obviously different. 
Come hang out at my house a couple hours. You'll see. I'll take it a step further. They're not just different in the obvious physical appearance ways. They are distinctive in temper, patience, character, emotion, abilities, interests, etc., etc. We'll deal more with that point later. Our fundamental struggle is this basic idea that we need to be indistinct to be equal. For some reason we think we have to be indistinct to be equal. Any distinctive puts us on JV and varsity. That's not necessarily, not necessarily, obviously that's not, that's not the case. It's not necessary and it's not God's design. Are men and women equal in value and worth? Yeah. Now with that as our foundation, we are amazingly, amazingly given, given the the place in the creation story, the pinnacle crowning moment in the creation story to image God, that he, that he gets involved in a way that he hadn't been up till noon on day six. I'm guessing it was noon, I don't know. That says something about our value. And the point I'm making to you is that it says something biblically about all of our value, male and female, let that be the foundation for which we proceed for the coming weeks. Right? That's where God starts. That's where God starts. Next week, we'll talk about how we are equal in some ways and yet not equal in some ways. And that's a good thing. Amen? Let's pray.